Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church this morning. Let's begin by praying. Heavenly Father, we know that we don't deserve any of your gifts because we were born sinners. We know that it is only by your grace and mercy that you have sent our, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to die for us and was buried, and on the third day you raised him from the dead. We thank you, Father, that we know that our sins have been forgiven, that he bore them all on his bo- in his body on the cross. We ask, Father, for the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit so that we will continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will come to terms with the amazing event at the cross, to understand how sinful we were and still are in our bodies, and yet, and yet you rescued us through the blood of your very own Son. Father, we ask this morning also that we would be guided and directed by the Spirit in all that will be going on here this morning in the singing, especially in, in the hearing of the Word of God. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand now and let's sing a song to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Kingsley is still in the West Indies. He'll be there for a couple more days. Um, he continues to let me know, update me every once in a while. Uh, things are going really well for him. We look forward to his safe return, as I'm sure his family does. Once again, reminder that we do have a giving opportunity with Pastor Adams in India and the home that he's established for lepers, the Healing Hands of Christ home. Just keep that in prayer. Again, we are, we are supporting 35 residents and yeah, you can see what, what that includes. Also, remember, too, that we're in a time of year where G- Grace Bible Church Pakistan puts together their Christmas care packages. And uh, we invite you to participate in that as well, whether it's a student uniform you'd like to support or children's gift, family ration. And it's now through December 31st. They're accepting donations for that. Schedule note, Thursday, November 24th is Thanksgiving. Because of that, we will not be having a Bible study on that evening. We will, of course, have our regular Sunday services the Sunday before and the Sunday after. All right, let's begin. The title of today's message, He Was Raised on the Third Day. He Was Raised on the Third Day. We have been studying the question, what is man? What does it mean to be human? We've seen that mankind was originally created perfect in the garden, and then mankind fell through the sin of Adam. And then we became sinners with all that that brought with it. But but then last Sunday, we begun looking at the sort of the third kind of humanity, if you will, created, fallen, and then the perfection. But beyond that, we're going to see the unique humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me first recap what we saw last Sunday briefly. We saw that for the first time ever, a virgin was with child. We saw that in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 to 35. We then saw that for the first and only time, a human being was born without sin. We saw that, for example, in 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 21. And we also saw for the first and only time that this child born of a woman was also God, as Colossians 2, 9 talks about. God dwelling in a human body. His name is Jesus Christ, our Lord. This son of God left the glories of heaven, became poor for our sake. He he became obedient to the will of the father, 
even unto the death of the cross. And we see in First Peter, which will be our first passage this morning, by the way, will be in First Peter 2 in just a moment, that he literally bore our sins in his human body on the cross. This is one of the reasons why God the Son became human, so that he could go to the cross, be the perfect sacrifice for our sins, and literally bear our sins in his human body, in his human body on the cross. And that's where we pick things up this morning. If you would, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Where we're headed is this. We've seen that mankind in, in, in its fallen state was in Adam. That Adam, as it were, was the federal head, the head of a race of human beings that were dead in our trespasses and sins. Every one of us was born in Adam. We were born under the headship of Adam. Now we're moving into the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're seeing him for his uniqueness. And what, where we're headed is that, that he is going to become a second federal head of a new kind of humanity that was first exhibited by himself in his humanity. And then those who believe in him, Christians, will follow along and be moved from being in Adam to being in Christ. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him, God the Father, who judges righteously. And here in verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. Peter here in chapter 2, in these verses 21 to 24, does a magnificent job of, as it were, weaving together what Christ accomplished for us and then how we follow along under his headship. And he is the first of this new kind of humanity. And one day we will be just like him in his humanity. Now, we'll never be like him in deity, but we will be like him in his humanity. And that's really why, one of the reasons why we're studying this whole series and especially one of the reasons why we're taking our time and seeing step by step the humanity of Jesus Christ from his birth. We're going to see, of course, right now his death on the cross. We're about to see his resurrection. And then we're going to look at his ascension into heaven and where he is right now. And again, that will set the stage for the miraculous things we don't deserve and we don't earn. It's all by grace that God then does and is doing and will do for all those who believe in Jesus Christ. And we see it here. You can see in verse 21 that Peter calls our attention to the fact that since Christ suffered and he's perfect, he never committed a sin, he never lied. When he was, when he was reviled, insulted, put down, he didn't turn, he had no revenge in his heart. When he was suffering, he wasn't what most of us would do, which would be complaining and attacking those who were making us suffer. All he did was entrust himself to the Father in obedience, who judges righteously. He 
He knew that he knew who he was. He knew that he was perfect. He knew that he was also the sacrifice. He knew why he was on the cross. He totally entrusted his whole person in the hands of his father because he knew, as Psalm 22 also tells us, that the father would raise him from the dead and highly exalt him. He knew that and he and he just held it is humanity to those facts, to who he knew his father was. And then 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. That was the answer to human sin, was to have the perfect son of God become human. And then even though he was sinless, become, as it were, a sin offering on our behalf as our substitute. And that and thereby the wrath of God was was no longer on sin. And it was turned away for all those who believe in Jesus Christ. And in fact, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And so because of that, now we're brought back in. Notice at the end of verse 24. Now that we understand that what happened on the cross. Now we see how the Lord brings us into the picture. And and here it says we might die to sin. By the way, we have died to sin. Paul brings this out. Um, Paul tells us that we've died to sin. And Peter is talking about we might die to sin, meaning there's he's setting it up and saying that now this is possible for all those who believe we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That is a description of our situation as believers in Jesus Christ. We've already died to sin. Now, believe me, that doesn't mean that we no longer commit sins. What it does mean that as far as our position is concerned, again, sin is no longer an issue for us in terms of our relationship with God the Father. And he is in the process through the power of the Holy Spirit to not only for us to understand that our old man, the kind of human we used to be, was crucified on the cross. And then he starts anew with a new kind of man. And it's, and it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is that we're the opening to a new man. That's Jesus Christ as the head. And then believers in Christ follow on. And then we share in his resurrection. And we are literally a new creation that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. So so Jesus Christ in his humanity bore our sins on the cross. What happened next was that in his body, he was buried in a rich man's tomb. He was buried. Again, that's a description and a demonstration of his humanity. The fact that literally his human body was put into the tomb and, he, and it stayed there until the third day. But of course, as we know, death could not hold him in the grave. And now please turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 22, to see the next part of the humanity of Christ and what he accomplished for us. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. This is Peter now, and he's proclaiming the gospel really for the first time after the resurrection of Christ. He's speaking to to Israel. He's telling them what what they have done through the Romans, as it were, in terms of rejecting their Messiah. And he's going to tell them the facts. You You see, in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, we get the facts of what happened. We get the fact that Jesus Christ was born of a woman and, and of a virgin. We get the fact that he lived the sinless life. We get the facts around his death on the cross. And as we're going to see now, we are about to get the facts of his resurrection from the dead. 
I say it that way because after the Gospels in the book of Acts, we then have the epistles of Paul. Okay, And Paul received new revelation directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. And while the Gospel writers and the writer Luke of the book of Acts give us the facts about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul comes along and he gives us the teachings that, that explain the meaning and what, is re- what really happened at the cross, what really happened at the resurrection, how we now share both in the death of Christ and in his resurrection. But for now, we're in the book of Acts looking at the facts. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Remember, Jesus' ministry was to Israel. The miracles that he performed, he performed so that Israel might recognize him as God in the flesh and as their Messiah. As you yourselves know, he's talking about Israel, the Jews. Now, I want you to notice how he starts. He starts by saying what? Listen to these words. Jesus, by the way, when you see simply the name Jesus, it's almost always speaking of the humanity of of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so so Peter is actually talking about and starting with the fact that Jesus is a man. A man, notice he emphasizes it again, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him. You see, Jesus Christ, remember, he always is God. He's always the son of God. But what he did was, as it were, he he laid aside in the sense of doing without the functions of God while he was here on earth. And and he literally was was, um, essentially a human being as well as God. He was human in every respect. And so we see here that even, and we've seen this in the Gospel of John, even the miracles and wonders and signs he only performed when God, as it were, gave him the opportunity through the will of God. And even then it was performed by the power of God, just as you yourselves know. And then notice verse 23, this man, emphasizing again his humanity, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. The facts. And now look at the great fact in verse 24. But God raised him up again. And when he did, he put an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him, Jesus, to be held in the power of death. Here we see the great victory of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He had victory over sin, and he had victory over death itself. And he also had victory over the enemies of God, Satan and the fallen angels since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. That's, of course, in verse 24, a reference, of course, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead in his humanity, and as we'll see, in a human body. And it was God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. And when he did, it was a brand new body. But as we'll see, it had a lot of, of similarities to the body that went into the tomb in other words, it was still Jesus. They recognize, we'll see this in a minute, the disciples recognized him as Jesus. And yet this body was glorious now, immortal, never going to die. And yet it was still a human body. It was a resurrected human body. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. First Corinthians 15, verse three. Give me a moment to get there. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. I want you to notice a couple of things here. In, in addition to the facts of his death, burial, and resurrection, and this is this is Paul laying out the who the gospel, right? He's saying this is the gospel, this is the message by which you are saved. And I want you to also notice he emphasized something else. He said Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. What that means is that the Old Testament prophets, in particular, but even going all the way back to Moses in the Book of Deuteronomy and the Leviticus. And in the Psalms of David, it all pointed forward to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In our um, earlier in, in our study of the Gospel of John, we actually took some time to look at the fact that Jesus is the promised Messiah, and that in fact his death, burial, and resurrection was, as it were, foreseen not only by God but also by the prophets and many other ways in the Old Testament. When Jesus Christ Ray was, was raised from the dead, and he appeared to his disciples in various ways. He told them, he says, listen, I'm going to tell you now how all the things in the Old Testament pointed to the fact that I would have to suffer and die and then be raised from the dead. And so we see that here. He died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried. This showed a couple of things. It showed, first of all, that he actually died, all right? And that's important because resurrection, if he didn't really die, then the resurrection is really not a resurrection from the dead. I mean, that's just can't be. You can't, if you're not dead, you can't be raised from the dead. Okay, But, but beyond that, we're going to see that we're going to Paul. Paul's going to come on the scene and he's writing here that the significance not only of his death, but his burial. And not only that, but we understand that he was human. You see, if only a human being has a body that dies and then goes into the tomb. All right. Let's continue. And that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So in other words, according to the scriptures, according to the Old Testament, this Messiah, this Christ, the son of God in the human body, this lamb of God, this savior would not only be crucified and buried, but also raised on the third day. The Old Testament said that. And then notice we go on in verse five and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. Just as his burial was proof that he was human and he died, so too we have proof of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. For us, we see these are really his appearances. So, So part of the historic fact of Christ's death and resurrection is that after he was raised from the dead, he appeared to many people. Many people who, as I mentioned before, recognized him and yet understood that he was in the ground. Well, not in the ground. He was in a tomb for three days. And therefore, what was predicted in the Old Testament actually came to pass. What Jesus predicted himself, he said, I, I, they're going to put me to death, but I will be raised from the dead on the third day. 
And then the, he had witnesses of that through notice. Verse five, he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. These were the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. In other words, you know, there, there are some people who want to deny the resurrection and say that, well, you know what? The, the disciples, the apostles, they were hallucinating. That's one of the, you know, one of the objections, the lies that, that those who don't believe in the resurrection of Christ try to convince people of. But it's one thing to think about a tight-knit group who was, who was just devastated by the death of their Lord, the one that they thought was going to bring in the kingdom. It's one thing for those 12 to be packed in a room for several days and, and be worked up to a frenzy and say, oh, we saw him. But it's quite another thing for the fact that there were then 500 people that, appeared, that he appeared to at one time. Now, they can't all have been having delusions, right? If there are 500 of them, all right? And this demonstrates, by the way, that just as his death was public, really his resurrection was public at the time. And because Paul is reciting these facts, what he's also saying is that anybody who would want to refute the resurrection of Jesus Christ has to, has to show that these facts that I'm giving didn't happen. Of course, Paul is sure that Jesus rose from the dead. Matter of fact, he's seen the resurrection and glorified Christ. And what he's saying is, is that, you know, you can check this out now. That's what he says next. Notice he says in verse 6, after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Picture that assembly of 500 people, Jesus appearing to them. And then notice how what Paul says next, most of whom remain until now. In other words, there's a lot. there are hundreds of people that are still alive when Paul is writing to the Corinthians that, that, that they could go to and interview and find out. Is this really true? Did this, is this really, this really happened? By the way, the enemies of Christ could also have done the same thing. You know, there are many ways in which the, the enemies of Christ could have disproven the resurrection. But none of those ways did they actually accomplish anything. For example, the, the fact that there was an empty tomb. I mean, anybody who wanted to refute that, an empty tomb, now where was it? In Jerusalem. Where were all the enemies of Jesus Christ at the time? In Jerusalem, the high priests, the Romans that crucified him. They could have gone and checked it out for themselves. And think about it. Believe me, they wanted nothing better than to, than to disprove the resurrection of Christ. Yet they didn't. They couldn't. Okay, so this is more evidence, the facts, that Jesus Christ really literally did rise from the dead. Verse 6, after that, after he rose, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time most of whom remain till now, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. The, the, Paul also saw the resurrected, and I'll add this, glorified Christ. This tells you something about how Paul's different from the other apostles. Because the other apostles saw the resurrected Christ, meaning he's alive, he came out of the grave, but we then know that, that, that 40 days later, Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And it's that Christ, and we're going to study this this morning, that Paul saw. He saw the glorified Christ. And that was indicative of the fact that he would be receiving new things, new revelations, new mysteries now unveiled that the other apostles did not receive. In any event, so we see in verse 8, he brings himself on, words, I too am a witness 
of the resurrected Christ. For the first time now in human history, there was a resurrection from the dead, and it was more than a restoration in the sin, more than a resuscitation. It wasn't simply bringing somebody back from the dead, because that wouldn't have been the first time in human history that that happened. As a matter of fact, where we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, we're about to see Lazarus being raised from the dead. But that wasn't a resurrection, you see. That was one word for it is a resuscitation or a restoration of life to a body that had died. That is not the same thing as what happened when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It was more than that. It was more than what what, what happened to Lazarus. If I could put it in a simple way, when Lazarus was, was raised from the dead, as it were, his body still was earthly and mortal. In other words, he was going to die again. As a matter of fact, there were those, again, the enemies of Christ, the high priests and the Pharisees and so forth, that really wanted to put him to death too. But he was in a body that was earthly. It wasn't a heavenly body. It was still an earthly body. And it was mortal. Lazarus could and would die even after he was raised from the dead. He was given life, but he still had a body that dies. On the other hand, Jesus Christ was raised in a resurrection body. And that body is heavenly. It was, it's crafted for heaven. All right, and again, let's keep in the back of our minds now. Jesus Christ, as, as the representative in his humanity of a new kind of man, has a body that's heavenly. In the same way, those that are in Christ will one day receive a body like his that's heavenly. It's suitable to be in heaven in the presence of the glory of God the Father, for example. And so, and so this was the first resurrection body. Jesus Christ received it. And that body's immortal. That body's never going to die. That's what Paul says, for example, in Romans 6. He's never to die again. That's unique. Okay, that, this is the first time in human history that any human being received a body that was heavenly, designed for heaven, and immortal. Even Adam's body was not this, right? We know that for a fact. First of all, God said, I've created him from the dust of the ground. And Adam was made for, he, for earth. Not only that, but he wasn't immortal because he died. Now, he lived a long time, but he died. Uh, he was after like about 900 years. So I can't imagine. I mean, in that respect, I think he had a better body. I know he had a better body than I do because I'm lucky if I get to 80. Right. So he but it's still a human body. It was still a body that would die. Not Jesus Christ. He has a resurrection body that will never die. And it's heavenly. As a matter of fact, it's he's in heaven right now in his humanity, as we'll see. I'd like you to turn now. Let's think about the nature now of this resurrection body. And again, let's look at the facts. And to do that, we're going to go to a gospel, actually the gospel we're studying, the gospel of John, chapter 20. Chapter 20. Now, we haven't gotten there yet. We're in chapter 11, but we're soon going to see the after Jesus is done with his public ministries to the Jews. And by the way, that happens. It's ended at the end of chapter 12 of the gospel of John. He's done everything that in the father's plan to witness to the Jewish people. And he's done with that. Then he's going to go alone with the disciples in chapters 13 to 17. Some of the most amazing things. It's really a preview of what's about to come with the church. And, and it's punctuated in chapter 17 by the most amazing prayer 
that you're going to see in the Bible. Why? Because it's it's Jesus Christ praying to his father on behalf of us, on behalf of the church. And then we have 18 and 19, which we'll also go. 18 and 19 are about his suffering and death and burial. So what do you think 20 is about? Obviously. Resurrection. Okay. And so so actually, we're not going to see this, but, but in chapter 20, um, almost up until where we are now, we're going to see Jesus Christ risen, the angels announcing it. Peter and John race to the tomb. They witness it is empty. These are witnesses now. And by the way, they were still alive, right, for many years afterwards, could have been interviewed, and so forth. Mary Magdalene saw Jesus risen from the dead, and so forth. Now when we get to verse 19, now we're going to see the resurrection body of Jesus Christ and what it was like. He's now going to go to the 12 disciples that are in the 11, really, at this point, that are up in the upper rooms, um, petrified of the fact that they might be arrested and killed. In any event, John 20, 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, this is the same day he rose from the dead. And when the doors were shut, where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, now the doors were shut. Yes, oh, good question. How did he get in there? Right? The doors were shut. Jesus came and stood in their midst and he said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. We're now looking at the resurrection body of Jesus Christ. And what we have here are there are some facts about the resurrection of the body of Jesus Christ that, as it were, have, have, are in common with the body that, that went into the tomb. But there are also things that are radically different. And so well, I'm going to summarize this, but you can see now that the, the statement that he came and stood in their midst when when the doors were shut, that shows you something that's radical and new about his resurrection body. He could, could literally go through walls and doors. That's different. I mean, I could demonstrate that for you right now. <laughs> oh, our limitations are, you know, I could walk into that door and try to, but that would be painful. And I'm, maybe somebody else, I'll volunteer, but we can't do that in this body. Jesus could in his but then notice in verse 20, what happens next? He showed them both his hands and his side. Now, why would he do that? Well, he was pointing out the fact that the holes from the nails that went into his hands were still in this body. Now, this is a resurrection body, and yet it still has the nail prints where he was nailed to the cross. And as it were, that is in common with the body that went into the tomb. The body that went in the tomb obviously had the nail prints. Now the resurrection body of Jesus Christ still has the nail prints. So this this is uh, this is a, a, an incredible um, another one of those things that we've been seeing where it's hard to understand in a way. It's hard to understand that there would be a brand new body and yet it would still have the marks of, of the body that went into the tomb and yet it's a completely revolutionary different body. In any event, then the disciples rejoice when they saw the Lord. Now again they recognized him. Can you see that? They knew it was. They saw the Lord. What does that mean? Well, it means, first of all, that they noticed that the hands and also his side where the spear went in still had the wounds. But beyond that, he was recognizable facially. They could see he was the same height as he was before. Right? He had the same build as he had before. He had the same face as before. And these are things that were in common with the body that went into the tomb. 
That's important. For one thing, it proves that it was a human body. For another thing, it, was, it proves that it was resurrected. That body that went in was the body that was resurrected. And then Jesus said to him again, verse 21, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Verse 24. But Thomas, now we've studied Thomas recently too. One of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, the disciples again were inside. And and, and and Jesus stood in their midst. Wait, sorry. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was not with them. Jesus came and the doors having been shut. Here we go again. And, and stood in their midst, Jesus did. And he said, peace be with you. This is pretty much a replay of what had happened eight days earlier. He's, now, So if it's a repeat, you can ask yourself a question. Why? And the main reason was now he's, he's doing the same thing for or Thomas, that he did for the ones that were, were there earlier. And he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. What a dramatic testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What we also see here is that, again, I've mentioned this already, that when Thomas put his, his fingers into the hands of Christ, he, he felt for himself the imprint of where the nails had gone in and reach here your hand and put it into my side. And again, he saw, and it must have been, a, a, in, a, in a sense, a shocking thing for him to realize that this body is raised from the dead, and yet he, it's there it is. And, and Jesus is allowing him to see that, that where that sword went in, there's still the wound was there. And of course, do not be unbelieving, but believing. But there's something else here in verse 27. In addition to the, the, the nail prints and the wound in the side, notice also that Thomas could touch him. In other words, this wasn't a ghost. This was a human being that you could still touch and embrace. Okay. And then verse 29, Jesus said to him, because you've seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they that did not see and yet believed. Everybody, how many people have seen the resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ and put your hand into his side with a wound, flow of water and blood? How many, how many people this morning? Zero, right? And yet, I don't want to, I'm not going to do a survey of who believed or not. I, I, I'm betting that all of you have, all right? Not my business, that's between you and the Lord. So blessed are those who did not see it yet believe. His resurrection body, therefore, was a human body, okay, still human. And as a matter of fact, it shared some features with that body that went into the grave. Let me repeat those, a few of them. He had the same imprints on the nails in his hands and his feet. The resurrection body still had the wound where the soldier's sword had pierced his side. The disciples recognized him. He wasn't a ghost, but he could be touched and embraced. 
and his resurrection body still had flesh and bones, according to Luke chapter 24. So in a lot of ways, the resurrection body shared features with the body that went into the grave. This is part of the reason, by the way, why we know that this was a bodily resurrection. That it wasn't as if now the Lord God created a, a body that was like a like a spiritual body that wasn't it is a spiritual body, but that, that was not in a sense recognizably human anymore. We know that it was the same body. We know that there was a bona fide resurrection from the dead because of that, because of these features that this resurrection body shared with the body that went into the grave. But, of course, we've seen also that in other respects now his resurrection body is radically different. For example, by, and we, he was not subject to the limitations or time or space. He could be in Jerusalem, and the next moment he could be on the road to Emmaus, right, for example. That's going to be demonstrated even more amazingly when he ascends into heaven, of course. So he wasn't subject to the limitations that we have, to time, that it takes time for us to, say, go from, from uh, where we are today and walk to Fort Lauderdale. He could have done it in an instant, right, or space. Those were no barriers at all. He could pass through walls, as we've seen. He could also appear and disappear anytime he wanted to. That's pretty cool. But none of those things we have, we're able to do. Okay. Well, speaking of the resurrection body, I'd like you to turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42. We're in the same chapter. This whole chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from start to finish is all about resurrection. I'm beginning with the resurrection of Christ, where he's going to say that if Christ hasn't been raised, then nobody else is going to be raised from the dead. Right. That's the first one. But he was raised from the dead. And then the second part talks about the resurrection body in itself and then the resurrection body, which is the same kind that we're going to receive. Here now we see some features of the resurrection body in comparison to the body that we have now and the body that Jesus had before he rose from the dead. First Corinthians 15, verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. That means when it goes into the ground, by the way, sown means into the ground, a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. That means it never die again. Verse 43, it's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. In other words, the natural body was fit for earth. The spiritual body is fitted for heaven. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So also it was written, is written. The first man, now we're all the way back to the beginning of our story with what it means to be human. The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The soul is is the part of our our, our invisible part of us that can relate to the things of the earth, one another, the sky, the birds, all the things that are part of earth. That's the domain of the soul. And it's a marvelous thing that the senses all are all perceived by our soul. On the other hand, the last Adam, who's that? The Lord Jesus Christ. The last Adam became a life giving spirit. He was raised from the dead. He received life. He had a body that was fit for heaven. 
and he and he then was was able to give that life to all, everyone who believes in him. Verse 46. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. We have to have a life where we're in the natural body, then the spiritual. And again, that is just looking at the story of humanity from being fallen in Adam to being raised with Christ. Had to be a natural body first, then the spiritual. Verse 7, 47. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man, Jesus Christ, is from heaven. The body that Jesus received at his birth was earthly also and mortal. It could die. But his resurrection body is heavenly. The body that Jesus received at his birth, earthly, went into the, into the tomb. The body that Jesus received at his birth was mortal, could die. His resurrection body that he now has is heavenly, and that's where he is, and immortal, will never die. So we have the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Forty days later, 40 days after Jesus was raised from the dead, he ascends into heaven. Why? Because that's where he belongs in his resurrection body. But also, he's already had victory over sin and death. And now he's welcomed back into heaven. The book of Hebrew tells us that he went, as it were, through his own blood, the demonstration that he's the perfect sacrifice. And he presented himself as the perfect sacrifice before the perfect temple in heaven. There are a lot of reasons why he, he, he went back to heaven. Those are just a couple. But he ascends into heaven, but he does so again in a human body, in a human body. And so we take a look at that and we say to ourselves, this is now the, the, the type of body that we're going to receive. This is now humanity. This never happened before. Humanity is now fit to dwell in heaven. Again, that wasn't true of Adam. Certainly wasn't true of fallen Adam. It is true of Jesus Christ. He is, as it were, the Bible says, the first fruits of those who will follow. And he went up in a human body. And so will we. As a matter of fact, we'll see this in Ephesians 2 in a, in, a, in a spiritual sense. But in a real sense, we're already there with him because we're in him. Again, all these things are impossible to understand with our natural mind. So thank God we have the Holy Spirit who can explain these things to us. All right. So 40 days after he's raised from the dead, he ascends into heaven. Let's take a look at that now. The facts in Acts chapter one, verse one, Acts chapter one, verse one. These are the fundamentals, the facts that we believe as Christians. What we're doing as we go through these stages, as it were, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension. And now at the end, we'll see the session. What we're doing, though, is noticing the fact that this was human, that these things occurred to. It was a human, the humanity of Christ. Now, we have to be careful when we say that because he's one person. He's deity and humanity and one person forever. OK, so we can never lose sight of that. Ultimately, this is the person, the God man. At the same time, we're able to notice features of his humanity. And, and it's a good thing, too, because that's what we'll share in, within him forever. OK, so, again, it's impossible to understand that uniting of, of man and God in one person. We take by faith that that's the fact we can see some aspects of it. All right. Look at let's look at Acts chapter one, verse one. Acts is written by Luke, the same one who wrote the gospel of Luke. The first account this is the gospel of Luke. Now, I composed Theophilus. We don't know who he is. It just means lover of God. 
about all that Jesus began to do and teach. That was what's in the Gospel of of Luke. Until the day he was taken up to heaven. After he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3. To those, the apostles that he had chosen, he also presented himself alive after his suffering. Notice this by many convincing proofs. I love that. Many convincing proofs. That's what that's what Paul talked about. Some of them. He just mentioned a few of them. The appearances. There were so many more um, convincing proofs that Jesus Christ was alive again. And he appeared to them for a period of 40 days. And speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And then verse four, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the father had promised, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. There were a lot of great things here, but we don't have time to look at all of them this morning. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking Jesus, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Notice that these apostles are still wondering and hoping that Jesus was then, after he was risen from the dead, going to establish his kingdom. That's what Jesus' ministry was. That's recorded in the Gospels. And and after he rose from the dead, that anticipation, that hope in their hearts, they were wondering now, is this going to happen now? Because we know that it didn't happen, but they were still wondering that. Verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or epics, which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you, these are the apostles now, you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. By the way, that first generation, the gospel went out everywhere. Okay, it went out everywhere. Not all by these these apostles that were in the upper room, because we know who, who was the one who brought the message by the way, the, the, the message that not only about these facts, but also the revelation that God gives him was Paul that did that. And that's all recorded in the epistles. Verse 9, and after, here, here's, here's the facts. After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. What an amazing moment that must have been. Not only do they see him raised from the dead in this new body, it's amazing. And then they see him skyrocket to heaven and in the clouds. And they wonder where he is. They know that, oh, well, that probably means the kingdom on earth isn't going to be established right now because he just went up to heaven. But he went up to heaven in a human body. Well, they were, he was lifted up. He went up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going. Imagine they did. The vision I have of it is people that go to um, Cape Canaveral, right? And they want to watch a rocket launched, you know, and you're seeing, and then all of a sudden you're seeing it go. And what are you doing? You're looking. And even after you can't see it anymore, you're still looking. I wonder if I can see it, you know? Well, that's kind of what happened when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. As they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. What a day. Not only do they have that demonstration of the, of the amazing resurrection body of Christ and where he's going now, fit for heaven, going to heaven. Now they have angels standing right beside them. 
And then they also said, the angels did, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, again, Jesus, human, who has been taken up from you into heaven, he was taken up into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. In other words, he's coming back and he's going to come through the clouds once again. He will come back, another promise, just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now, he reaches heaven, and when he does, he's highly exalted. This, is a, this, is, this goes beyond what was revealed about him, and, and as it were, his situation, even after he was raised from the dead. There's another, even more glorious stage, event, when he goes up into heaven. He is glorified in every possible way. You know, he had to hide his ultimate glory when he was here on earth, because literally earthly bodies couldn't take it. Okay, so so but what he's when he goes back to heaven now, he's in the he's in the he's with his heavenly father. He's in the midst of the glories of heaven and he's glorious completely. When he reached heaven, he was highly exalted. Look at Acts chapter two, verse thirty two. Just go to chapter two of the book of Acts. You get the facts in Acts. All right few more minutes. This Jesus, again, the humanity of Christ, this Jesus, God raised up again, to which we, those are the apostles and disciples, are all witnesses. And then notice next, verse 33, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. That's the Holy Spirit. For it was not David who ascended into heaven. David never ascended into heaven. In a, in a body, okay? He never did that. So in other words, this Jesus goes way beyond what da- who David was. David didn't ascend into heaven, but he himself said in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. You might wonder, like in verse 33, how did they know? Okay, the, 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 the Peter is preaching, after the ascension of Jesus Christ, after he's seated. But you have to ask the question, how did he know that? I mean, he just stood there and saw him go and out of their sight and through a cloud. How did he know where he was? He certainly couldn't see that. Well, the answer is, is because the Old Testament once again said that he would. This quotation from Psalm 110, notice, the Lord, God the Father, said to my Lord, see, David knew his Lord was the Lord Jesus Christ, notice that, Sit at my right hand. This is the Father now. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Peter knew where he was, exalted at the right hand of God, because his scriptures, the Old Testament, told him that that's what would happen. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, that this Jesus, humanity, whom you crucified. And there we have the complete title the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is humanity, Lord his deity, Christ the Messiah, in one person. So then God the Father seats the Lord Jesus Christ at his right hand, the hand of power and authority. Let's go to Ephesians now. Let's go to the New Testament, I mean to the epistles of Paul, chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 18. Now, where, where are we? We've seen the death of Christ on the cross, his burial, resurrection from the dead, and that amazing new body. 
ascension into heaven, another miraculous demonstration, and seated at the right hand of the Father. Now Paul comes on the scene and writes the book of Ephesians. And remember, he received revelation about the meaning of these facts that are recorded in, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. And let's see an example of that. Tremendous example of that in one of his prayers on behalf of the church now. See, we now come into the, into the picture. Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And this is a prayer for all of us as well. That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, God the Father's strength and power, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and notice, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, this is, this is God, but also in the flesh. This is a human, as it were, as well as God, at the right hand of the Father. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. We can see here again the same facts, right? That, that God's power raised him from the, Jesus from the dead, seated him at his right hand. And then we get a little more insight into the fact that this Christ at the right hand as above all rule, above all authority, above all power, above all dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. What a glorious statement about Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Then he goes on, verse 22, and he put all things in subjection under his feet. He made his enemies a footstool for his feet, but not only that, all things. Christ now is reconciling all things to himself. Oh, God, the Father is through Christ. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. Humans have feet, by the way. And, and gave him as head, as head, Jesus Christ is the head now of a new creation called the church. Notice, he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him, God the Father gave him as head over all things to us, to the church, his body, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Again, this goes beyond our, our ability, even our imagination, to understand the grandeur of what God the Father has done for the church. But we see the fact that whatever it is, we know that Jesus is the head and we're his body. And in some manner of fashion, which the Spirit has to give us glimpses of to understand this at all, but as the body of Christ, we now here on earth still are the fullness of him who fills all in all. You know, he's going to go on in chapter three to talk about that, that God is actually using the church to broadcast elements of who he is to the heavenly places and the heavenly beings. So quite simply, though, Christ is the first resurrected man. Again, we're looking at his humanity to enter heaven. Think of it. He's resurrected and he's in heaven. And he does so as a man, which gives us the hope. Well, we're humans, too. And he said that we're going to receive our body like his. That must mean that one day we'll be there with him in heaven. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 as we close this morning. Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. Let 
This was a passage that we went to to see the fact that he's God. This morning, though, we're going to also see some aspects of his humanity. Just, just one verse in particular, too. Hebrews now, chapter 1, verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, Hebrews 1, 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, and he sure did. Every word of God is God-breathed, right? Everything that the prophets wrote and spoke was directly from the mouth of the Lord. He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways. Verse 2, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Through whom, he, through whom also he made the world. Verse 3, here's his deity now. But not only that, we'll see. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. That's the deity of Christ. But then the humanity comes right along. When he had made purification of sins, that's his humanity on the cross. He sat down, there's a session we call it, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. You see, verse 4 is about his humanity, right? He became much better than the angels. Well, God the Son was always infinitely better than the angels. So he's talking here about the humanity of Christ has become much better than the angels and has inherited God doesn't inherit everything. He has everything. The humanity of Christ, though, inherited a more excellent name than they. By the way, it is the name that one day all creatures in heaven, on earth, and under the earth will, will, will bend before that tremendous name of the Lord Jesus Christ and worship him. That's Philippians chapter 2. So now the Lord Jesus Christ is glorified in heaven as the Son of God, but also in a glorified human body. Remember, his humanity and deity are inseparable. He's one person. Can't forget that. But we are considering the wonders of his humanity. And what we know now is that he's glorified and exalted in both his deity and his humanity now. There are obviously things about the Son of God that have infinite glory, right, in who he is as deity. But now also in his humanity, he receives great glory. Look at John chapter 17, verse 5, as we close. John chapter 17, verse 5. I mentioned today already that John chapter 17 is a complete chapter with the most amazing prayer that was ever uttered. It's Jesus Christ praying to his Father. Jesus Christ now, the Lord Jesus Christ, is glorified, exalted in both his deity and his humanity now. We're going to see this this verse that talks about him glorified in his deity. John 17, 5. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, notice, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. That's the glory that the Son of God has always had. And he knows that he's about to return to the Father. And he's going to be in heaven where all that glory will be met, will be manifested completely. In other words, he radiates now, up in heaven now, the glory that he had as the Son of God before the world began. Unimaginable, unimaginable, the glory of God, the Son. But in addition, 
he now has added glory. Now, it, it's, it's, I won't say it's greater, but it's added glory of his victory over sin and death. That's tremendous glory. But that's in his humanity. It was as a human being that he had victory on the cross over sin and death. I'd like you to turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse, verse 8 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. This will be our last passage. Philippians 2, 8 through 11. And being found in fashion, I'm going to read King James on this one. I always do. Okay, it's, 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 it's accurate, unlike most of the modern translations. Philippians 2, 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He died. He was buried. His humanity died. God raised him from the dead in a human body, a resurrected body. He is now at, in heaven at the right hand. He has a glorified body. He has he's received now the name, which is above all name. This is humanity. And at the name of Jesus, his humanity, every knee will bow, things in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess one day that this Jesus, who died on the cross and was raised from the dead, is Christ, the Messiah, and Lord, to the glory of God the Father. But now in heaven, his glory, his exaltation in heaven is both the return to the glory he had as the son of God before the world began and the glorification of his humanity. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning once again for allowing us to observe your son as he takes flesh, as he goes to the cross on our behalf, as he dies, as he's buried and placed into the tomb. And then as you raised him from the dead and how he, he, he ascended into heaven to be with you again. And he's right now seated at your right hand, the perfect, glorious human being, as well as God's son, your son. And so, Father, we just uh, thank you for this ability to see these things through your word. Help us to be humbled. Help us to rejoice. Help us to be praising you and your son now and forever. We ask this in his name, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to dismiss you at this point in time. I thank you for your attention this morning. And uh, let's let's take what we've learned today and apply it. All right. Let's let's really in our hearts observe now this glory and understand that it is the glory of God, the son, as well as the glory of his perfect humanity. And that one day we will share in that glorious humanity. Let's just somehow let's meditate on that. Consider that as we go about our days this week. It'll lift us up beyond the everyday difficulties and mundaneness of our of our life here on Earth. All right. Have a great day. Have a great week. We'll see you on Thursday. Those of you that are able to join us for our Thursday night Bible study.